I like within the prayer that, that was just prayed, Lord, help us to receive the implanted Word. That's huge, isn't it? Because we come, yes, to worship. That's a part of why we come. And the other part that's, that's equally important is to come to be equipped with the Word of God so that we might go out in service to Him. Because areas of service are not always so much here in this building because we're not here very long. Where's your greater field of, of faithfulness and service? It's out there. And so we come to be equipped for out there. And so I pray today, as was prayed, Lord, help us, equip us, so that we may be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have in the midst of a world that many times people are without hope and they're turning to so many different things trying to alleviate their pain, their suffering, their agony, their despair. So, Father, help us. Help us. Let, let's read Romans 5. I, I thought we would finish with chapter 5 today, but we're not. Uh, so just, just bear with me as we, as we go through today. Uh, the, the Lord would teach us uh, what He would have for us out of this. We're, gonna, we're not going to read all the way back into chapter 5. We've, we've done it several times. You can do that on your own. But today, let's pick up in verse 18. And remember, this is after the parentheses that was closed in verse 17. This is after Paul gave the clarification of what he, what he said uh, and was, was leading up to these, these verses. And now he is here with these truths. So in Romans 5, verses 18 through 21, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Therefore... As through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. Let me pause. Who's that one man? Adam. Through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act. Now, who's this? Who's this one man? This is Jesus Christ. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, has, has already been said, help us, Father. Pour out your Spirit upon us. Teach us according to your word. Father, keep me from error Lord, help me to stay in line and in step with the Spirit and let Your Word speak today. So strengthen us, give us wisdom, give us more knowledge of You and Your Word today. 
And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, we've spent weeks talking about Paul and the stand that he has taken and clarified over and over again of what many would call uh, the doctrine of original sin. That all sinned in Adam. All fell in Adam. And that in Adam all die. He's been talking about this over and over. Uh, this, this is just the first parts of uh, verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation. For as by one man's disobedience, many, and we know that word many, that's everybody, that's everybody, Any many were made sinners. Adam's sin was imputed to all mankind and death entered. All the world guilty before God. And we remember what Paul had said earlier in Romans 3, that he had charged both Jews and Greeks that they were all under sin. Now you can put up Romans 3.10, I think I have that. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, all under the law, all guilty before God, none righteous, all have received the imputed sin of Adam. And, uh, you know, I didn't put this slide in there, and that's okay. I'm just going to read it. Uh, this MacArthur quote that says, and I thought this was very true, a person does not become a sinner by committing sins, but rather commits sins because he is by nature a sinner. Now, how true is that statement? That's it. We, we're born sinners. Born. Because of Adam, Adam's fall, all united to Adam, all made in union with Adam in his sinning. And so throughout this sermon series, I believe we've been able to see from way back in chapter 1, a couple years ago, maybe even more than that now, that Paul has always been ready to answer a question or an objection before it is raised. Remember how we have looked at so many things. It seems like Paul is giving the answer, knowing what the people are going to, what they're thinking, knowing what objections they're going to come up with. And so I believe that's why we have verse 20 and 21, because Paul sees something coming and he's going to address it. He doesn't put it in parentheses again. Perhaps that would have been too much, but he's going to address it. Now put up verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Moreover, Paul still has more to say about something. And it seems to me the something that he has more to say about is the law, about the law. Moreover, the law entered. The law came alongside he had made reference to the law in previous verses in, in verses 13 and 14 in Romans 5. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed 
when there is no law. And we'd have to go back to, to that sermon that we preached. It was not imputed. It was not made record of. It was not written of. We could go back and, and, and listen to that sermon. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses in the time before the law. Death reigned. Why? Because Adam sinned and all die. Not because I sinned. I do. But that's not the reason I'll die. I'll die because Adam sinned. All will. Imputed from Adam. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. The first man, Adam. The second man, Adam. We've talked about that quite a bit. So from this, it was not the law that condemned people. Mankind was already condemned. Do, do we see that? It's not the law that condemns. We were already condemned. And why? Because of Adam. Because of Adam, the sin of Adam. Well before the law was given, sin and death entered and sin and death reigned in the world through Adam. And remember, Paul had made these statements in chapter 3, Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. No no one justified by the law. And if we go down to, to verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. You see, the law was never a means to justification. We, we all know that, right? was never a way by which men could be saved from their sin. If I keep this law and I keep it perfect, I'll, I'll be justified before God. No, because it's, a, it's an impossibility. No one could do it except the one, Jesus Christ. Let's look at Galatians 3, verse 21 and 22. Galatians 3, 21 and 22. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, Truly, righteousness would have been by the law. Do you see what was said there? But there is no such law. Verse 22, But the Scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You see, the law was never and even still is not a way for a Jew or anyone else to earn their salvation, their justification before God. Now, in knowing that, you see, what, what, what was the was it Paul Harvey? We we know the rest of the story. But but let's go back. Let's go back and consider this. Can consider in Paul's time a believing Jew. Now, now, I say a believing Jew. See, see, this was the beginning, if I could say it this way, the beginning of Christianity as we know it. You know, Christ came, the Messiah came, He was born, He lived, He died, He rose again. 
the beginning of the church. And so here's these Jews, some Jews that have now been converted. They've been saved by grace. Previously, they had trusted in their heritage as a Jew. That They had trusted in knowing that they had been the chosen people of God. That it was to them that God gave His oracles for them to hold and, you know, to take care of. They, they had trusted in their, their feasts and their rituals and, and largely in their circumcision. So what might their thoughts be to someone who is coming out of that? What might be that one's thought? And I believe that's what Paul is addressing in the midst of this. Perhaps their thought would be something like this. Okay, Paul. We now understand that we cannot be justified before God by keeping the law, by our heritage or circumcision. We now know, Paul, justification is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I know that now as being saved by grace through faith. And and, and Paul, uh, we, we can also see the point you made that it is not the law that condemns us, but rather we were condemned already through the transgression of Adam. We have sinned in Adam. Okay, Paul, we, we understand that. You've, you've made this clear already. So, Paul, let me ask you this, because it was such an important part of who we were. Uh, when, when God spoke on the mountain and Moses was there, th- th- this was huge. You understand that, don't you? How big an event this was in history even. And for the Jewish people, the Israelites. So Paul, let me ask you this. Why did that happen? Why was the law given, Paul? What was its purpose? And Paul gives the answer in that verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law entered. And again, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, the Greek word for entered meant to come alongside, to be by the side of. So, so the law entered to come along the side of what? The offense. The sin. The transgression that had been committed. Your sin was already in the world. Paul had brought that out. Before the the law, sin was in the world and and sin reigned in death. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. There's two camps in the midst of this, and I'll just let you know that, that that there's some who think that this offense is only the offense of Adam. And then there's others, which I am a part of, who believe it is not only just the offense of Adam, but also the offense of all other offenses that would come through all people. So why would I think that? Why would I think that? Why would I believe that? Because of verse 16. Put verse 16 in Romans 5 up. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So that's where I 
get that, and I, I'm in the camp that is talking about not just the offense of, of Adam, but for all offenses that were yet to come because of what it says there, because the free gift which came from many offenses. So the law entered, came alongside the offense, the sin of Adam as well as of all mankind, so that the offense, the sin, might abound. What does that mean? What does that mean? Someone may have this thought. So so the, the, the law was brought alongside the many offenses by God in order to make us sin more so that the offense might abound. And I could see where some people may have that thought. But the answer would be no, absolutely not, certainly not, utterly impossible for God to do such a thing. James 1, verse 13. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So that that destroys any thought of, of, of that, right? From there. God will never do anything to incite us to sin. So, so what, what does that mean? Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Well, let's go back to Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law came so that we would have a knowledge of sin. And I believe we we preached on this probably about six months ago. And so we'll refresh a, a little bit from some of the things we heard back then even. See, that, that sin was... The, the law came so that we would have a knowledge of sin. That sin was made visible. Can I say it that way? Was made manifest. That for Manifest for what it truly is transgression against Almighty God, that we might know without a shadow of a doubt what sin is. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Let me pause there for a minute. In fact, Paul is going to say this in, in, in verse 12. Uh, he had just, he, here in, in verse 7, he said, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. And in verse 12, he's going to say this, Therefore, the law is holy. No, no, it's not sin. The law is holy, he, he says in verse 7, and the commandment holy and just and good. So a few verses later, Paul is going to say, No, the law is holy and just and good. It is not sin. Uh, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. So the law defines sin. Okay, can we agree with that? The law defines sin, and in particular, certain sins, 
And then within those headings of these certain sins, I believe you can have break those down even further to sins that would fall underneath that great heading. So the law defined it, it reveals sin. Sin is exposed and thus the law brings about wrath. Romans 4.15 Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. And we spoke about this weeks or months ago. See, the law reveals sin. It brings us all guilty before God and deserving of wrath. The law defines sin. It makes it transgression. The law makes our sin evident and obvious. It silences the mouth of the one who would try to say that they have no sin. The one that would say, but I'm a good person. Oh, really? Well, how about this? Do you, do you see where we're going? See, Paul points this out in, in Romans 3. Uh, I believe we read 20 a while ago. Let's add verse 19. We're going to read eight, uh, 19 and 20. Romans 3. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You see, no one will have an excuse. All guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. John Piper said it this way. I, I read this quote months ago, and there's a portion of it, I'm sure, in particular, your parents, you parents and maybe you teenagers are going to remember a particular part of this quote. Let me read John Piper. Quote, before the law came, before the law came in, all kinds of sinful attitudes and actions might go unnoticed because there was no specific commandment that was violated. But when the law comes in, the knowledge of sin explodes. What was lying dead, as it were, is brought to light as a specific violation or transgression of an explicit command. So see, now in the law we have specific, explicit commands. There is no excuse. And he goes on and he gives this example that, that I'm sure some of you will probably remember. So for example, before the law was given, teenagers may have badmouthed their mothers and fathers when they got together. There may have been some vague uneasiness about this, but then came the law. Honor your father and your mother. Now, every disrespectful word is a specific violation of an explicit command. And not only is sin exposed more clearly, it increases. End quote. So now, there's a specific command, you see well, it doesn't really say, yeah, it does now. And and he ended, Piper ended, where it says it increases. It increases sin, the knowledge of, of it increases. Where would Piper come up with that? Well, let's go to Romans 7 one more time. Romans 7, verses 7 through 11. So we're picking up verse 7 again. We're going to go a little bit deeper this time. 
What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness until the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, now we're in verse 8, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. Pause. Right here. Oh, oh, Scotty, this is what you alluded to. Oh, you, you, you mean I can't do that? Well, now I want to do that. And we gave the, the, the example when, when I, I went through this before that, that, that it's, uh, we, we see it very evident with maybe toddlers. Don't, don't touch what's on that table. What happens? It seems like all they want to do is touch what's on the table. And they have been given specific command. Don't do that. Don't be, don't be surprised, parents. Because it tells us this in the Word of God. That's how they are. That's how they are. They are little sinners. All you, oh, they're my little angels. No, they're little sinners. They're little sinners. A natural rebellion that seems to cause us to resent a command or a prohibition. Scotty, that's what you talked about. Oh, you, you trying to tell me I can't do that? Well, I'll show them. I'll, I'll show can't tell me what to do. I can do it if I want to. Do, do, do you see? So let, let's go back. Uh, I'm, I'm Stay there in verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For, for apart from the law, sin was dead. What's that mean? Well, without a law, commandment, or prohibition, all things were free for us to do. In effect, in effect, sin was dormant. No guilt. There was no specific command. We were free. Verse 9. 9, 9 through 11. I was alive once without the law. Let me pause. Yes, alive physically. Dead spiritually yes alive just a happy pagan just going along free in your sin to do whatever you want with no specific command that you understood no prohibition do you understand what he's saying here i was alive once without the law but when the commandment came sin revived now i know now I've got a command. Now I've got an explicit command and order. Sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and it killed me. Man, there's a lot there, isn't there? Sin will always, always, always deceive you. Always. That which I thought would bring life turned out to be the way to reveal my spiritual death. It deceived me. It killed me. My sin now revealed to me, now made clear to me, has shown me that I'm a sinner and under the wrath of God. 
See, God didn't give the law in order that mankind might be saved by it. The law was given to reveal sin, to show our weakness and our failures. Romans 7, 13. Has then what is good become death to me? And remember, Paul had just said that, that the commands are, are holy and good. He just said that. Has, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Do we, do we understand what it's saying now? That we might know sin is sin. That we had been deceived. And now the commandment has revealed it. Exceedingly sinful. You see, the law teaches us about the depths of sin. The exceeding sinfulness of sin. A person doesn't really understand the true nature of sinful desire, lust, and coveting apart from the law. Let me ask, do I need to preach about the deceitfulness and exceedingly sinfulness of sin? Man, I want to hear a yes. I need to preach that. Let me, I'm going to ask you, in, in your personal evangelism, do you need to bring up the matter of sin? Yes! It must be addressed. How can anyone know that they are a sinner unless they are shown by the Word of God that they are a sinner? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, well, well don't you want to be happy? Oh, who, who's going to say no to that? Oh, don't, don't you want your best life now? Well, yeah, I do. The things are going pretty good for me, so I don't know if I need that. Everything's going along pretty good right now. How is our evangelism? Jesus came and died for sinners in which we all were. All. Well, no, wait a minute, I'm a pretty good person. No, in Adam, all sin. Let me take you to the Word of God and I'll show you. Do you see what we're saying? Martin Lloyd-Jones talked about this a lot, and I've got a huge... Martin Lloyd-Jones quote here. I'm going to read it. Just bear with me in the midst of this. I wish this could be read from every pulpit. Listen. Here's Lloyd-Jones quote. Why am I so concerned about the meaning of sin? Because of my conviction that this is the way to convince your good moral friend that they are a sinner. That's good. That's good. Lord Jones says, because the, why, why do I believe that? Because this is, this is the way to convince your good moral friend that they are a sinner. There are so many people in the modern world. Now remember, he preached this back, I forget now if this was early 60s or late 50s, was when he preached this. So we're talking some 60 years ago or more. There are so many people in the modern world, educated people, Good moral people who resent the suggestion that they are and have been sinners. True? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's not me. We continue. Of course, they are not drunkards or adulterers or murderers 
They are the most respectable people in the land. And remember, he's talking about the good moral friend. Still lost as lost can be, but pretty good morals. They are the most respectable people in the land, and they can sit and listen to preaching that denounces such sins without being touched. They have never done or been any of these things, and they do a lot of good. They are idealists. They are philanthropists. I would say that the greatest sinners in the world are the self-satisfied, self-contained, good, moral people who believe that as they are, they are fit to stand in the presence of God. Have you talked to someone like this? I'm good. Me, me and God, we're good. You know, I've, I've not done any of those things. He wouldn't send me to hell. I'm not, I'm not a bad person. Oh, yes. You're so bad that the sin that you have committed in Adam cost the death of God's only Son. Let me continue. Moreover, I'm going to back up and say, I would say that the greatest sinners in the world are the self-contained self-satisfied, good moral people who believe that as they are, they are fit to stand in the presence of God. Moreover, they are in reality telling God that He need never have sent His Son into the world as far as they are concerned, and that the Son need never have died on the cross. See, that's what they're saying to Almighty God when they say, or I'm righteous of myself. Well, you didn't have to send your Son. There is no greater insult to God than that. But it is pr precisely what they are guilty of. There is no greater sinner in the universe than the man who has never seen his need of the blood of Christ. There is no sin greater than that. Murder and adultery and fornication are nothing in comparison with it. It is the most important, therefore, that we should realize this truth concerning the law. It determines the character of our preaching and our evangelism. If we preach and evangelize merely in terms of, are you in trouble? Are you unhappy? The good moral man will say, this has nothing to do with me. I am perfectly happy, and I am not in trouble at all. If, if we go then... Uh, on to preach about those who are victims of drink and of sex and so on, the good moral man says, he's not preaching to me. These things do not concern or worry me at all. I'm a happily married man with good kids and all is well. This good moral man sets as the Pharisees set listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told that they are sitting by looking on as spectators. Preaching that omits the teaching of the law's relationship to sin is seriously defective. We must not start with men's needs. Don't start there with your evangelism. The need is Jesus Christ because of sin. Not felt needs. Don't start there. It is sin. We must not start with men's needs, with their weaknesses, their fears, their phobias, and so on. Our preaching must not be subjective only. What then must we preach? We must preach God, the Lord of the universe, the Creator, the Lord God Almighty, the everlasting God. 
We must tell all men that they were made by Him, that they are responsible to Him, and that they are before Him. We must hold mankind face to face with God. And the moment we do so, it is not difficult to prove that there is none righteous, no, not one, and that the whole world lieth guilty before God. That includes the good moral man with a self-satisfaction and a self-contained everything, who never thinks of God, never worships Him, and never comes on Sunday to join with others in singing His praises. He is the greatest sinner of them all. He thinks he can live without God. He is not interested in God. And the Son of God was never necessary as far as He was concerned. It is the law that teaches us this and convicts us of sin because the law always brings us face to face With God. It's not enough. Merely to say to a sinner. Come to Jesus. Rather. Let him know. What he is doing. Let him see himself. If you want him to admire. The matchless grace of Christ. See to it that he first realizes. That he is face to face. With God's holy law. He cannot realize the nature and the power of grace fully apart from the ministry of the law. He must first see that sin has abounded. Only then may he be able to see the wonders of God's grace. End quote. (laughs) That's fantastic. That is wonderful truth. And it's certainly not what the world wants to hear, is it? The law came to reveal sin. That there would be no doubt about the exceedingly sinfulness of sin. The law reveals our need for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now let's go back to Galatians one more time. Galatians 3, we're going to read 21 through 25 now. Galatians 3, 21-25. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the Scriptures have has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Do we thoroughly understand what Paul is saying here in Galatians when he says the law was our tutor? It revealed sin. It brings everybody guilty before God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, you can put that one up. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We we read 3.10 earlier, but you can put it up. It's just right above that. Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. In Romans 5.19 that we've also read today, 
For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one's obedience many will be made righteous. Many will be made righteous. <laughs> Not by individual works of righteousness, no. But only by the imputed righteousness of Christ. So I'll ask the question this way today. Has the Word of God revealed to you your sin? Has it ever revealed to you your sin? Have you been made righteous by Christ? Have you been born again to newness of life? Are you saved? By grace through faith have you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, repented of your sins, and received Jesus Christ as Lord. Have you been made alive in Christ? We read a few verses. John three sixteen. You know this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Everlasting life. Romans 10, 9-13 That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God that will one day fall upon all unbelievers. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Has, has God the Father, through His Word, Reveal to you your sin. Have you ever seen yourself as a sinner doomed for hell? Because that was once the position of every one of us sitting in here. Did you ever see yourself as that? And if not, examine yourself as to whether or not you are even of the faith. Or are you just the happy pagan going along believing a few little things about God and the things you've heard? Has there been a change? Has sin be revealed so that you might know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and you actually cried out to God as a sinner, Lord, forgive me, confessing, Jesus is Lord. John 5, verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me, who sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. For those who believe. Well, well preacher, I believe. I believe. Well, that's good. That's good. How do you know that that belief is unto Justification and righteousness before God. Well, one thing we know from the book of Romans that it says His Spirit will bear witness with us that we are children of God. 
And the other is, as I would ask it this way, what's the evidence that your life reveals that you are truly born again? In other words, are you bearing fruit of righteousness? See, there's another, what's your life like? Are you bearing fruit, spiritual fruit? If there is no spiritual fruit, Jesus said, you will know them by their what? Fruit. What's the fruit of your life? See, there's a question you could ask somebody. Well, I go to church for an hour every Sunday. Well, hey, what about the other days, multitude of hours? What are you living like then? What's the fruit of your life? Because the fruit of your, of your life reveals who you are in your heart. Do you believe that? That's true. John 3.36 He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 6, verse 47 Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Who believes in that miracle of God as he would open our eyes to see ourselves as a sinner, that he would reveal the rescue for sin in Jesus Christ, that he would draw us to himself, granting us faith that we might believe, and then we confess and receive Christ. We're not going to be perfect. We won't be perfect in this life we're living here on this earth, but we will be being perfected. Can I say it that way? We are going to be molded more and more into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. There will be many things that will immediately fall away from our lives because that's not us anymore. And then as we read and study the Word of God, we will be changed more and more and more as we learn more of who He is and who we truly are. So my Word in closing would be to believe and repent. Acts 3.19 Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's the only way to be happy. Blessed are these. The only way is in Christ. All things are going pretty good. Yeah, but that's not true happiness. Luke 13, verse 3. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It's the words of our Lord. Unless you repent, unless you turn, and that is only possible by the miracle of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Believe and repent. Don't be among the perishing. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for Your Word. It, it is very clear or at least to me, it seems clear of what your word over and over and over and over says about sin. So, Father, help us all, even the, the ones who are truly born again that, that's hearing us, that's listened to this sermon, help us to 
all marvel at the repentance that we have received. And even though we may stumble in this life, as, as we're going through this life, is not a stumble into losing our justification. Because we are held in your hand, safe, secure, sins forgiven, past, present, future. All now covered by the blood of Christ because of grace through faith. That does not give us a license to sin all the more. Paul is going to bring that out in chapter 6. But Lord, that we should, our, our, our striving should be in the power that you supply, that we would turn our hearts and minds to you in all ways, to acknowledge you in all our ways, and you have promised in your word that you would direct our path. So Father, help us in our daily walk to acknowledge you in all things, even the mundane things, even through work or school or grocery shopping or doing laundry, whatever it is, Lord, may we do it for your honor, for your glory, in our attitude and in our responses of the midst of the circumstances of life. And Father, should there be someone who is yet lost, who has heard this sermon, I pray by your great power that you would perform a miracle that only you can do by opening the eyes of those who are not only just blind, but dead. That you would perform a miracle like like with Lazarus, that you would call them, Lord. And we know that no one comes to the Father except through Christ, and that's through you calling us from our dead, sinful state. So, Father, perform a miracle that only you can do. Call them. Reveal to them their sin, that they are a sinner before most holy God. And, Lord, in, in just the revelation of seeing that as truth, that they would tremble before you. And Lord, then, show them the rescue that's in Christ. Grant them faith that they might believe. And as they confess their sins, Lord, grant them repentance. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Call them your own. And Lord, help them in their life to bear spiritual fruit of righteousness. So Lord, help us. Help us to be able to rightly evangelize. To do it in love, knowing full well that every one of us, every one of us, once a sinner, once was in the same condition at some point in our life. So Lord, may we evangelize in love, but never, never, never sidestep the issue of sin. So Lord, help us. Help us be faithful to You and Your Word. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.